You're listening to Lost and Sound in Berlin, a podcast exploring music and identity in Berlin, supported using public funding by the Arts Council of England. Episode 4, New Forms. My name's Paul Hanford. In the last episode, I met Daniel Miller, the founder of Mute Records, whose long and evolving relationship with this city began one foggy night in 1980, driving through the East German Corridor, listening to the soundtrack to Psycho. Then, over in Kreuzberg, Mancunian artist, label owner, and all-round bon viveur Mark Reeder revealed how, around the same time, he helped organise illegal punk gigs in East Berlin right under the noses of the Stasi. Today, join me as I continue my journey, meeting people whose lives and loves weave in and out of the rich tapestry of music that spans across this city and across the years. And through this, I want to learn and share with you why Berlin has such a creative energy. The first time I heard the word Neukölln, it was as the title of a track on David Bowie's Heroes LP. I remember being drawn in by the strange synthetic landscapes that Bowie was able to summon up. I had no idea... It was the name of a district in Berlin. Or that years later, I'd be spending so much time here. And I wonder if Bowie had any inkling that 40 years later, this area, where I'm walking right now along the canal past Maibehufer to Treptow, has become one of the city's main creative arteries. This is where I'm off to meet one such creative who lives here, the producer and DJ Mobile Girl. Mobile Girl's music avoids easy categorization. Just as she became known for her abrasive DJ sets, she put out a debut EP of Sublime Calm. She's an artist that seems to be mapping out her own trajectory. I joined her for a coffee alongside the canal. So how long have you been living in Berlin for? For about two and a half years. I moved here September 2015. And you were from Munich? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Munich, was born there. And what was the appeal in moving to Berlin? Actually, as corny as it sounds, the music, I think, yeah. I met a lot of people here who had way more similar tastes to music, in music than to me. So it felt really natural to be really like, like, because I wanted to move away from Munich anyway, and then the best option seemed to be Berlin. Well, what were the kind of sort of things that reached you when you were in Munich about music? Mm, I would go here quite often, I'd just like take a bus for like eight hours. Really? Yeah, yeah, to just go to a party. I once did it actually where I just took a bus, crashed like at a friend's place, or just like threw my stuff into her place, went to a party in the morning, took a bus home again. But it's just, I really missed that in Munich. There were so many, there, like things like when Janice was kind of starting here, that's when I really wanted to come here all the time. And that was just something that was not happening in Munich at all. I asked her about how she got the name Mobile Girl. Um, the name comes from a Facebook sticker. Uh, it's called Mobile Girl M.I.M. And it's this girl, like, she looks kind of like a toddler, but could also just be a bit older. But she has a bowl cut, and she just looks basically like me when I was four. <laughs> and when I started making music, I just needed, like, a SoundCloud handle or something just to put it up, and I was very not serious about it. 
So I just went for that name because at that time it was my face, like my favorite secret pack. Mm. <laughs> like by now it's, more, like, I definitely have very different. So has it grown words. on you as a sort of name with an idea now? I mean, I get a lot of phone references now from it. Like, a lot of posters with phones on it and stuff. And it's, I thought about changing it a lot because the girl has this kind of like cutifying character to it. And if you want to be taken more serious, it's probably not so much of a good idea. But on the other hand, I, f- I find names should not be that important. Mm. Also, then you're given name by your parents. It's just. It does determine so much about your like how you perceive yourself and how others see you because I personally like love I love my actual name and just growing up I realized I had like a lot of problems with it on one hand but on the other hand a lot of people just found it funny and cool. My name is Bao. But um Why why would they find that funny? No my like my full name is Bao Chan Chan. Or that's like how you would say it in English I guess. In Vietnamese it's Bao Chang Chang. So it's an actual difference. Um, but coming like li- growing up in Germany people didn't get it and people didn't my first name is Bao Chang and people didn't understand the difference between the Chan and the, my first name and, the, and my last name so everyone was really confused and just found it funny and like kind of loved to say it a lot I mean just saying all of this obviously a name has a lot of impact on you but I, I just really wish for it to not um I never felt comfortable with having to um, submit to one category. Like also the music I make is just like some weird blur in between a lot of things. The music I play is just a range of different genres to a point where people just get really confused also. And um, also just generally, before I made music, I wrote websites. Before I wrote websites, I did graphic design. And it's just like, I can't, maybe it's a commitment issue. <laughs> <laughs> So what, you but got about two just, two years left of making music, then it's uh, yeah maybe two more years and then yeah, who knows? Yeah. I, I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised. But um, yeah, I just like variety. I guess I like being able to explore a lot of things. So um, this whole set of like having very limited, I don't know how you say it, like just. I, I guess I sort of view it as kind of labels, really. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of labels. No, I'm not a fan of labels either. Do you think Berlin allows people the chance to uh, explore different ways of looking at labels? Or freeing themselves from labels that in other places they might feel less able to be free from? I think Berlin is generally quite open-minded about things. Yeah, that's true. I still haven't been anywhere else where I felt this comfortable. It's also just a matter of how little people care, I think. In Berlin, it's just everyone is so aloof. <laughs> you can just basically run down the street naked and nobody will just look at you. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that just gives you a lot of freedom to explore things. Just nobody standing in your way so much. Mm. I must say Berlin might be a bit too chill. To feel. I think I need a bit of pressure. Right. For yeah. the creative juices to be flowing. But... Um, and Berlin just it doesn't do that. But at the same time, it just lets you just be yeah. and have ideas come to you, I guess. Do you think you could sort of become someone that lives in two cities? You have like your Berlin for your chill and... Oh yeah, for sure. Like a, a more stressy city for going, okay, I'll have this done by Tuesday. I think it would be super 
useful to live in a very stressful city, like a very pressuring city for a few months, come back with the same attitude <laughs> and not have the pressure but still have the discipline. Talking of the contrasts between the calm and the hectic, Bao confronted expectations when she eschewed the clubbier elements of her DJ sets on her surprisingly tranquil debut EP. I asked her about the process that led her to making this music. It definitely put me into a certain state which was actually just calm. Um, especially coming from DJing where I just played so many different things. It was kind of difficult for me to decide on one particular style of producing. So I just tried a lot of things and the, the music that I ended up with that came out on EP was the one that I felt most comfortable with just by listening to it. Or like during the process it just calmed me down and almost felt like self-therapy. Yeah. It's the music that made me, that put me at ease the most. Mm. It made me feel not in a different place but just definitely in a in a calmer state for sure. So you kind of self-medicated? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I guess like, it's almost like behavioral therapy or something. You just sit down and do something. And then the outcome kind of makes it feel even better. I've, I tried to make club tracks, but they just would make me feel so anxious. How like I, I couldn't sit at home and kind of just listen to a really heavy kick on repeat all the time, you know? <laughs> I felt it was... I was a bit afraid um, as to how it will be perceived when I put it out because it's just kind of unexpected, I guess. But um, it also helped me to realize that it's not too important to like follow a certain strategy or idea of like what I'm doing and that I just want to make stuff and release stuff that I feel comfortable with. And it definitely did slow down my thoughts about the whole music industry and everything so just in that way it felt really necessary it's just like therapy in so many ways <laughs> yeah it's nice sort of I don't know I felt when I did music as well it's sort of I think I was kind of I felt initially like the first thing I put out had to be like a statement of, of exactly. yeah, my true. life rather than this is this is the expression of what I need to make right now I guess the first one has a lot of weight mm. and I felt the same like it took me super long I, I was supposed to release something maybe two years prior and anyway everything happened so quick to me like I made a track and it kind of caught attention really quick it's like a bigger producers indeed just picking up on it quite randomly so I was really excited about everything but it all happened so fast and I couldn't I didn't really know like I had just literally just made one track you know yeah. <laughs> and it just took me super long to um, to find a way to express myself or to feel comfortable with putting something out that will somehow has to kind of be a statement but actually also really doesn't you know right talking to to people who have released a lot helps a lot helps because they just they're just like yeah this I don't know this EP from back then it's just representative of me at that time like it doesn't really mean anything to me right now yeah it just puts a lot of weight off of it talking with Bao one of the things that she said that really inspired me was how when it came to making her EP she listened to how she was feeling at the time and created music for that particular headspace I mean even if Berlin as she says can be too chill without the grinding commercial pressure you get in other cities artists here have the opportunity to ignore expectations and make the music that they're feeling leaving Mobile Girl 
I get on the U-Bahn, where a few miles north I have an appointment with another artist finding new forms of expression with electronic music. Where I'm stood, I'm kind of dwarfed within the socialist widescreenness of Karl Marx Alley, which leads from Mitte to Friedrichstein. This wide, straight strasse is full of monumental architecture and was designed as part of the socialist dream. And although many of the buildings now house Italian restaurants, ice cream parlours and other distinctly non-communist shops, something here feels preserved in time like a famous canvas by a mid-20th century artist hung in a gallery. Out of these historic surroundings, I'm off to meet Zior, an artist whose electronic music, which has so far included collaborations with Peaches, Discwoman, Dev Hines and Planet Moo, feels anything but trapped within history. Before you came to Berlin, did you have this kind of yearning to be here? I think it's like... An ongoing process since I was young. Like, I, I am a floater. Mm. Like, I just, like, like drift to places. And then, like, this has been, like, so far the end of my journey. Like, I live here for 12 years. I live in the same place. Like, not that, not, like, a hundred things changed in, bet- like, in between. But, like, I'm still, like, going to places. Like, I mean, I'm not standing still. I think standstill is, like, the worst. Yeah. And then yeah. it's kind of, like, over. So I I don't care about security in that sense. Like, I just want to do what's right in the moment. So it was kind of, like, a logical consequence to, like, end up living in a city that is as open and big as this and, like, has so much to offer. Yeah. I mean, it could be another city as well. Like, I think, like, other cities maybe have even more to offer, but it also then come with another different set of struggles that you have to go... I mean, like, try to make a living in New York or London or something. It's, like, a little bit different. What what do you think were your common struggles when you got here in terms of settling in? Yeah, first of all, you got to get to know a city in a way. Like, I started really early when I came here to open a restaurant, actually. Oh, right. So, like, I did this for a few years. And um, when I started it, I didn't know the city well enough to like figure out that maybe like the area I opened it and it wasn't the right one for that and some, something like that like so like mm. there were like struggles with like not knowing the city well enough and like maybe like haven't seen like progression like because it was like in Prenzlauerberg and like this was a time when Prenzlauerberg was kind of like dying yeah so like yeah. then like more like Neukölln like started like slowly like popping also it was a vegan restaurant so like it um, it was a little bit too early for its time. Like it was a little bit too radical for the normies and too too clean for the punks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Whereas now, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now it would be popping. But like on yeah. the other hand, I'm like I really, I'm so happy that I don't have this anymore. <laughs> yeah. So that, that I can just like focus on music stuff, which I don't know. It just like took forever to like mm. for me to like find the confidence and me doing what I do. Was, was the music kind of uh, developing um, as, as ideas whilst you were running the restaurant? I mean, I always did music since mm. I was really young. But um, back then, like, I always thought that, like, I wasn't good enough to do certain things. Why is that? I don't know, like, I was working with people that were really good at like shredding a perfect guitar solo or whatever, yeah. you know. Mm. The thing is, like, they don't necessarily have the good ideas. 
like being creative and I mean like I do think I have a bunch of talent mm-hmm. but like not necessarily like I'm the school type of person because I would like I don't know what a note is I don't know what a note is yeah, either yeah. Um, I, I was encouraged not to make music at school because uh it was very formal like that and yeah, it's I, kind of I didn't boring. associate creativity I didn't understand what creativity was although yeah. I've always been creative like I didn't understand that it was something quite instinctive um, and something quite free until much later on because at school you know it, you know, it was very formalised yeah like that. I tried like for a lot of years to like work with a friend mm. on music projects and like we tried all different sorts of things and it never worked out it was like always a weird vibe and once we had like a bunch of people gathered and like we're trying a new project and it was a really really terrible project and at some point I just couldn't take it anymore I grabbed a guitar during the band practice thing and I also like then realized that I had a whole different way of like influencing what's going on just because I grabbed this instrument that I didn't even know how to play even though mm. it's it was a familiar thing because I like had a guitar forever mm. And then um, we kind of, like, the two of us, we kind of just, like, met in a practice space, like, apart from this, like, situation with the other people. And, like, my friend started playing drums for the first time, basically, and I started playing guitar for the first time. And then we did the band, like, just the two of us. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like, we, I don't know, we did a record and we did a European tour and stuff like that. And, like, the other, like, guitar solo shred dudes, you know, like, are still mm. in their little small town playing... Um, being in a Foo Fighters cover band or something yeah. you know like it's yeah. just like really yeah. like yeah I had like also probably a really like funny way of playing guitar but it was like somehow like resonating with people so we could do all these things and like some people like I mean we had like or we practiced in this like practice space um, and there were some people that were also really good at treading the perfect guitar solo but they were like looking at me playing guitar and they were like I didn't know how you fucking do this. Like it, it was like really like I could see like these people being impressed, and I still would like cover my ears when they would play guitar. But <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. So like then I started just like gaining confidence and like playing musical instruments more. Yeah. And yeah, later on I started working on a computer. One of the things that really interests me a lot about uh, what you're doing now is is, is the kind of contrasts um, between to the uninitiated ear, kind of sometimes harsh sounds, and something kind of very sort of fluid and yeah, watery yeah. as well. Um, do you, you do you feel like um, you're reflecting the contrasts in you as a person through the music? I mean, it's coming out of me, so might be. I don't have an answer to that like it's just happening Mm. like I don't sit on a track that I work and then I'm I don't have a formula or something it's just like it's more of a not really a jam but like it just comes out of it yeah I'm just like dealing also with a lot of like chance things like yeah, whatever kind of sound comes next, I don't know. Like then I just like maybe use this, play around with it, maybe I change it later. But like it's just like I'm trying to like still like maintain a flow. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like very intuitive. So do you, do you feel like very open to um, coincidence? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean like I don't know how much like how much it really is all coincidental, you know? But like. I mean, if you're on a computer in this, like, digital age, like, producing music, then, like, there are so many possibilities. It's, like, basically endless possibilities, which I 
really like, to be honest. But like, at some point, you have to make a decision. Yeah, I mean, because when I started making music, we uh, started doing everything on like a little four-track cassette. Uh, yeah, and I did then, that like, too you know, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and then, then you have the kind of like every now and then, <coughs> after every few tracks, you'd have the the decision you'd have to make before bouncing down. Um, do you miss having? Do you miss this lack of choice? Oh no! So choice is always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I really think I'm more of the max type of person. Yeah, than the minimalist. <laughs> like, I yeah. just like rather use too much than too little. I really related to what Zure was saying about the guitarists from my younger days and their studied methods of shredding because I also struggled with music at school. I always felt it was something that was thrust upon me rather than something I could explore and find creatively. Both Zure and Mobile Girl seem to be making the music that fits their current environment. But what happens when all of the freedoms and experimental ideas of electronic music finds itself within the context of one of Berlin's most grandiose backdrops. To explore this, I have an appointment with the Institute of Sound and Music. I'm just in the foyer of one of Berlin's grandest museums, the Martin Gropiusbau. This is where the ISM are exhibiting their spatial sound project called the Hexadome, which features new work by artists including Brian Eno, Holly Herndon and Matthew Dryhurst. I'm interested to see how ideas about electronic music in Berlin can work in such a historic academic setting. A few seconds later, I was greeted by Ben Fawkes, who explained to me what the ISM is. So ISM means Institute for Sound and Music. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an idea that my colleagues and friends Nick and Brendan kind of came up with in probably late 2014, 2013. Yeah. They, um, Nick had been running a live um, audiovisual installation series at this place called the KW in Mitter. Um, for about three years and people like Mika Vanio and Transformer, Lucretia Doll, all kinds of people in that sort of world were presenting pieces in these shows, quite small small, small crowds, 100, 200 people doing very successfully and then at the end of each three years the KW um, changes hands, managerial hands and curatorial hands so Feed the name, the name of this Oh, let's walk out these days. It is, isn't it? The name, yeah, yeah. The, name of, the name of this series was called Feed. Yeah. But it was the inspiration behind what now is the ISM. So Nick and Brendan were talking about how you could change Feed into more of a way, of a space that you could contextualise um, the history and yeah. culture of electronic music, but also the future of sound, innovation around sound, and audiovisual arts and immersive arts, essentially. So I joined a little bit after that, about 2015, and we set up a non-profit called the Institute for Sound and Music, ISM. Mm-hmm. We're now eight people. We have a membership board of about 23 people with the likes of Matthew Herbert, from mm. who producer, but also from the Radiophonic Workshop at the BBC, and Daniel Miller from Mute Records, Alex Young from one of the founders of SoundCloud. And the long-term goal is just essentially to establish a museum dedicated to sound, yeah. immersive arts and electronic music culture 
So like think a space for installations and exhibitions or live shows, educational programs, a research centre, you know, documentaries and films and children's programmes and all the things that you could imagine around mm. what sound is and what sound could be and the technology and the innovation around that basically. So this, the ISM Hexadome, which we're sort of overlooking now in the in the in the mezzanine of the yeah. Micropius Bell is our sort of campaign, or rather our first example of the kind of thing that we want to do all the time if we were to get a space. Ben, explain to me the historicness of the surroundings. We're currently in the atrium of the Martin Gropius Bau, which is one of the, I would arguably say, the, one of the most prestigious museums in Berlin. But yeah, this room has also hosted Ai Weiwei, um, Anish Kapoor. I mean, this museum's also hosted the David Bowie exhibition when it was here. Yeah. So we're in very good company. And, and the beautiful thing about this room is it has a 10-second reverb. Wow. 10 to 12 yeah. seconds reverb, which the likes of, for example, Brian Eno, when he came in, he'd brought a few, some ideas of what he was going to mm. present. And as soon as he got in here and realised... The room is the room is kind of an instrument too. He composed a piece live in this room over the course of three days. So the work that was shown by Brian was made for the ISM Hexadome in the atrium of the Martin Gropius Bell. Well, I guess it kind of it goes to the old idea of like how churches are an instrument and buildings are an instrument themselves. You know, form of amplification. Yeah, exactly. And this and the Hexadome is essentially an instrument as well. This is our. I mean. Our artistic curation was more focused on, okay, we've given you the technology and the platform to make work and you can do what you want. We weren't giving a, a conceptual direction. It was more, okay, are you interested or have experience in spatialized sound? Do you have a visual artist? This is the instrument we've present or provided for you. Mm. Go do what you want to make with it and yeah. make, make a live show, make an installation, that kind of thing, basically. So That is awesome. And... Um what, what is the kind of... Um, I mean, I guess people come here um, um, and they have their own particular kind of experience that they kind of bring into it. Uh, like for the audience, uh, what, is there sort of like a kind of a pattern you notice in how the audience behave when they come here? Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely... It's kind of that thing that, I mean, for example, Brian Eno talks about music as an event versus music as a space. Yeah. And most of the time, people are coming in here and really taking a long time just being in the in the environment experiencing the pieces maybe more than once um yeah so it's it's a lot of people sitting on the most people are sitting on the floor or sitting on these little um these little stools so it's definitely a different kind of approach to a musical event so to speak Mm -hmm. you know Uh, why do you personally feel that um the the uh the study of sound um is is uh, is is in a gallery, in a gallery, in, in an exhibition space. Well, yeah, that's a good, a good question. I mean, I feel like music and sound are often not put into an artistic context, into a museum context, and we think there is a lot of value to doing something like that. We also think sound and music, or sound, has only been recorded. It's only about recording sound is only about a hundred years old, so the con- contextualization and the historical sort of references behind sound isn't that old in, in if you compare it to so, for example um visual art or sculptures and things like that music and sound is probably the most social of the art forms mm. but the least contextualized in museum contexts if you see what I'm, if, if i'm making sense yeah no i think so i mean do you think it's because um 
it, you know, particularly like we live in a Western society uh, which values uh, vi- very visual mediums mm-hmm. over um, the sonic mediums, maybe because the sonic is so everyday, mm-hmm. like it's the one thing we can't close our ears off to, yeah. you know. But I don't think it, it... But you're right, you're right. And also at the same time, I don't think people register sound in the same yeah. way, you know what I mean? And it's interesting because Brian Eno's installation was called Empty Formalism and uh, maybe you can read the, the, the description in the programme because mm. I probably won't do it justice but in the piece he's talking about how he was with a friend at an art gallery and they were talking about a piece, and a visual piece or a sculpture or a painting and they're like, but what does it mean? And you don't really say that about music or sound in the same way. Mm. You don't ever listen to a music and go, well maybe you do a little bit but you don't really go, what does this song mean? In the same way you do when you look at a piece of art and go, what does yeah. that mean? You know, yeah. It's more just like, oh, there, there it is, you know. So I think there is a, an interesting potential, like a future around sound and music that I, th- I think, particularly with um, innovations around sound systems and sound system technologies and also visual projection and lasers and just technology in general, I think there is a lot to be done in this space. I asked Ben how important it was for the ISM to be based in Berlin rather than another city. I think we are better placed here than we are anywhere else, yeah, for sure. We're better placed here in terms of our network. There's a lot of software and music technology companies based here too. Um, And also, I think we have a better chance of making this happen here than anywhere else in many ways. Maybe in London and other towns there's more, maybe there's a bit more financial support from corporations, but in terms of space and creativity and like-minded people, I mean, we're, it's a, this is a community-driven project. We all have day jobs. We all work involuntarily as well. And even but when we started this, the ISM Hexadome, we brought on way more volunteers to help manage all of the things that had to be done. And we're just overwhelmed by how many people wanted to get involved, mm. you know. And I feel, I feel like that, that definitely can happen in other towns, but I think the combination of all of the elements of being here has definitely helped make this happen as yeah. opposed to anywhere else, you know. Meeting Ben... I was fascinated in how the ISM are seeking to establish electronic music's place within the art world without compromising electronic music's freedoms for the acceptance of the art world and how this is nurtured specifically through being in Berlin. home that night i thought about how i'm learning more and more that how music gets made has such a relationship with the surroundings that the music comes from whether this is the calm mobile girl channeled on her debut ep or the way at the ism brian eno made music specifically for the space within the martin Gruppius bow these are responses to an environment and Gior's rejection of the educational conventions too helped her create her own musical landscape. And how does Berlin play a part in this? Well, if buildings, the people in them, and the space between are inspiration, then maybe they are like musical notes of a sense, and the place we live in is our own musical education. to Lost and Sound in Berlin, a podcast exploring music and identity in Berlin, supported using public funding by the Arts Council of England. Music by Tom Giddens.
This episode is also being hosted by Bear Radio. And you can find other podcasts from Berlin on bearradio.org. Thanks for listening. And if you want to join me on the socials, you can follow on Instagram at forward slash lost and sound in Berlin and on Facebook at forward slash lost and sound in Berlin. Thanks for listening and catch you again in two weeks.